0: Welcome to the Jill on Money Podcast. It is Thursday, September 9th. And uh, hey, Mark, how are you, man? It's been a long time, a few weeks since we've actually talked for real. We put all those shows in the can. August 12th, almost a full month, man. Yeah, this was our longest break from talking to each other since starting our adventures about a decade ago. That's amazing. Uh, So we are rejuvenated from our time off. um, And I am really I'm, I'm psyched. I'm psyched. You know, Mark, this is also a new year for our Jewish listeners, I being one of those Jewish people. So it's Rosh Hashanah. And so Happy New Year to everybody who's celebrating that. But it's also sort of the beginning of an academic new year. And I think for a lot of people, it's time though. The world is still crazy with COVID, but it does start to feel like maybe some of our scheduling is getting back on track, kids back in school, hopefully. A lot of businesses are back in person, but it doesn't really mean anything unless you got your head on straight and ready to sort of get into your routines. So I wanna help get you into your routine. And one way that you can do that is to really focus on a few things that you can help yourself do to make you feel better about your life. Now, I can't ride the bicycle for you. I can't go running for you. I can't watch your diet, but I can, and Mark and I can do this together, help you with your financial life. So if you have a question, and it can really be anything remotely financial, all you need to do is to send us an email. It's askjill at jillonmoney.com. Or if you're on our website, jillonmoney.com, hit the contact button. That's all you have to do. So easy. Shannon, she is starting us off. And Shannon says she and her husband are 45. They've got a mix of retirement vehicles. We will both have a state pension defined contribution plan with a current value of $225,000 he's got some money in a deferred comp. She's got a Roth. So he's got 75 grand in a 457 plan. She has 80 grand in a Roth and they contribute the max every year. He's got a rollover at $125,000. When we rolled his old 401k into the IRA about five years ago, we didn't feel like paying the taxes to convert to Roth. Boy, she writes, wish we had done that. It was only $55,000 at the time, so it would have been a much more manageable tax bill. We know Roths are the way to go. We believe taxes are only going up, and it would behoove us to convert. I'm not sure how to go about it. You ready, Mark? we got to think about it. Um, Shannon says, I've been taking on more consulting work. We're now in a position to start fully funding a Roth for him. So you ready for your three choices? We've got A, B, and C. A. Should we just forget the existing traditional, open a Roth for him and fully fund it every year and just call it tax diversification? That's A. Here's B. Should we convert it a little bit at a time using the $6,000 per year to do it slowly in lieu of sending that six grand a year to the Roth? We could use it to just convert it, but it would be slow. Should we convert it all at once and have them withhold a percentage, 25% for the taxes? They do have a six-month emergency fund. She doesn't want to spend it to do this. She says, part of me wants to just do option C and get it over with. Yes, rip off the Band-Aid. Urgh. That would be so horrible, though. I don't know. Um, the temporary hit will take years to recover. I'm not sure how to find the break-even date on the scenario. Yeah, I just need you to tell me that this is a good idea and which way to do it. Mark, which do you want, A, B, or C? So they didn't tell us how much they earned, but let's just pretend they're both sort of Uh, they've got just, I'm saying 45 years old. I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that they are in the 22 or the 24% tax bracket, highest tax bracket. Okay. So should they forget the existing traditional and open a Roth for him? Should they convert a little bit at a time or convert it all at once? Remember that the rollover IRA is $125,000. So that would pop them into a much higher tax bracket. So I think I'm taking C off the table. We're not doing it all at once. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to do that because most places aren't going to withhold the tax and we're not blowing out of your emergency reserve fund. So here's your, now we've narrowed it down, A or B, forget the traditional and open a Roth for him or B, convert a little bit over time. Again, the IRA rollover is $125,000. Okay. Mark says that converting a little bit at a time is probably not going to be worth it because $6,000 a year is just not going to be enough. So Mark thinks, A, forget the existing traditional and open a Roth for him. And I think that I agree with that. Um, I also think that maybe um, that if anyone else is listening to this, that when you have, you know, in the tens of thousands and a rollover, this is really, and, and it always hurts a little bit to think about this, but this to me is like the quintessential problem. And that is that, you know, you wait and then the thing is growing. So I, th- I agree. I think just like, let's move on. Let's just fund the Roth and move on. And if for some reason you have a year where your taxes are lower or you have some windfall, maybe you can start converting some of it, but don't go crazy. Okay. Trey, I like that nickname, Trey. Is it so-and-so the third? But anyway, the guy's name is Trey. I'm a devoted listener forever. Okay. Trey has a trust and inheritance planning question. My father, who is 83, owns a small commercial building. It needs a lot of renovation and repair. He owns the building free and clear. He's asked me to partner with him on the renovation, upgrades, and costs. The renovation costs a half a million dollars. The building brings in about $3,500 a month in rent. I'm interested in the project as the building has been in my family for almost a hundred years. Oh my God. And one day I'm going to own it myself. My question What is the best? Least risky way for me to participate in the project and protect myself from liability and cost exposure if I personally am not currently a partner on the building title. I am an only child. The building, which is worth about a million dollars, along with $250,000 in liquid assets, is set aside for me in a trust. The building's in a trust, and so are these assets. Okay. 45 wife, couple kids, nine and 11. Um, they're both working in the rat race. Thanks. You are the best of the best, Trey. Uh, Mark, he's got a million dollar building that's only bringing in $3,500 a month in rent. That's not very much. I mean, of course, if it needs a lot of renovation and a repair, I I think you would do an analysis to find out whether or not it's really worth it to do this upgrade and how much more you're going to earn in rent. I think the best way to do this is probably, and this is very odd because... He's not a partner. It's interesting. He's not a partner on the building title. So there you're automatically protected from liability. But what I don't really understand is if the building is in a trust, can you, I don't think you can get a note on it. A trust can't apply for a mortgage, can it? I don't think you can. And I know that you want to keep this building in your family. If it's been there for a hundred years, that's all well and good. However, I am still a little concerned that this is a, a big investment. And um, the way that most people would take a million dollar building is they'd leverage it. They'd borrow the money needed. They'd get a construction loan and have it against the, this hard asset, the building. I don't want you to do anything personally to do it. And I don't think your 83 year old father should do it for those listening. Um, when you have rental property, even if it's in your family for all these years, it's all well and good, but you know, it's an asset. Let's not get so attached to these assets. What if it's better to sell it? Maybe you'd rather have the million dollars and be liquid. Very unattached to things. You know that, Mark. Dan writes, Dear Aunt Jill, thank you for all your insights on investing and how much you've helped me and so many others. I understand the philosophy and benefits behind low-cost index fund investing. However, I have a unique situation. I have a relative who is an executive at an investment company, American Funds. And as a result, I'm able to invest in any of their managed mutual funds without paying any commissions, fees, or sales charges. If you were in this situation, would you still invest in low-cost index funds or would you go to American Funds? That's fine. Uh, I think that um, the Growth Fund of America is a great fund. Um, the World Fund, yeah, I would fine. That's fine. I think that um, this is a, a very unique situation, as you say. You point out something that's important, which is a lot of managed mutual funds produce more capital gains every year than an index fund. But Dan con- continues, and he says, my wife and I are retired, and so we, we don't really care. That's fine with us. Am I missing something? Does it make sense? in light of our unique situation to continue with our current plan. Continue with plan. Take advantage of it. Don't don't look back. Okay, Austin uh, writes, Hi, Jill. Since I started commuting farther to work in the last year, I've come across your show, and it's a great part of every day. Oh, how nice. Always upbeat and fun. Well, Mark wouldn't say that I'm always upbeat. Sometimes I'm not. Anyway, he goes on to write, I figured you would be a good resource to contact about a medical billing situation. My wife and I relocated during the pandemic, and we were establishing ourselves with new doctors and such. When my wife went to see the doctor for the first time, they restricted her to a telehealth visit. We figured it was all fine. She went that route and had her visit all fine. Okay, next thing we know, we got a bill for $500 after insurance. (laughs) This is going to make me nuts. She reached out to the billing department uh, to explain, and they coded as a telehealth visit versus a preventative care, although that was the only option. This was reiterated. Okay, so they went back and forth, and they reduced the bill to about $300. When reaching out to her insurance company, they instructed her to send a letter if she wants to dispute with their covering. Oh, my God. We had seen that during COVID, telehealth visits should be covered. That being said, she sent a long letter. She hasn't gotten any bar, uh, any response yet. Oh, that's shocking. The best part is, while waiting and without notice, the doctor's office sent the bill to collections. Oh, Mark, this makes me insane. Just this week, when emailing about a second bill she was disputing, they dropped the hint that the first bill was sent off to a debt collector. No warning, no final notice. Now we're in a bind. We don't want our good credit to be impacted. Her score is 760. Mine is 800. Do we pay the bill immediately to avoid dealing with collections? Do we hold on while we fight the insurance company on the bills? Is there something I'm missing? The pandemic has been a nightmare when trying to get routine preventative health care. Mark, what are you going to say? You know what I'm going to say, because I always think if it's a money, it's a problem that money can solve, then it's not a problem to me. Pay it. Pay it. I'm sorry, Austin. I know. It's like really, it's like giving up. And I know that it feels a little bit, it's like settling a dispute when you know you're in the right. You just pay it because your time and your energy is better spent moving forward. And now you're never going to make this mistake again. Do not leave doctor's offices without understanding things by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I just had this recently. I had to get a quick COVID test because I was going on the morning show and they wanted me to have um, test to be in the studio. And I had, because of the time horizon, I had to get a three hour turnaround, 250 bucks out of pocket. I'm like, can I submit it? They're like, yeah, they should be covered. I'm sure it's not going to be covered. (laughs) I just want to say, but always ask. Rebecca, writes, I love your show. I'm trying to decide if I'm on the right track with my retirement planning. I'm 39, single. I've never been married. I've got no kids. I live in Seattle. It's pretty expensive, but I live with my sister who uh, allows me to pay just $600 a month for rent. Wahoo! That's what she wrote. I just started prioritizing retirement back in June of 2020. I had about $6,000 in there prior. She makes about $4,300 a month in gross pay, okay? Expenses, rent, student loans, when they start got starting again, you know. so she got 600 in rent, $310 student loans, gas. Right, she's got the long-term care insurance. This state of Washington makes me insane. This has been a crazy situation. So she lists everything out and she wants to know if she's putting in too much money into retirement, Should she be prioritizing emergency funds over retirement, any other red flags? So, okay, she's got $30,000 in retirement, which is great. And she's got some money that she's putting into um, an IRA, all very good. And then it looks like her, her savings account is probably a little light. So what I would do is whatever money you have, I think it would be great for you to split it between emergency funds and retirement. That's what I would say. So I think you should make sure that you've got your six to 12 months in an emergency reserve fund, whatever the money is, that's, that's the fungible money that you have, you must try to split it between these two. Once you've got the emergency reserve set up, you maybe even want to have more like nine or 12 months. Cause I mean, you're not, you may not live with your sister for the rest of your life. You want to have a little extra money. And then I think what you should be doing is plowing money into retirement. I know it seems like you're going to have a long way to go, but you're doing a great job. And, you know, you had 6000 a year or so ago, and now you've got $30,000. So that's great. So just to put it in perspective, she has an IRA, a retirement account through work, and a 403B. So all of this looks good to me. Um, Mark, do you see any other red flags? Yeah, that's what I was thinking also. Like, we just think that you, you're you probably not going to want to live with your sister forever, although I would live with my sister forever. But um, I think that you're probably going to want to make sure that you have enough money in there to fund your emergency reserve fund and then have a little bit more because you're going to move out eventually. Okay. So that's it. That's our first episode since we've been back. If you have a financial question, just send us an email, Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. If you're on the website, if you're on the jillonmoney.com website, you can subscribe to this one. You can subscribe to our sister podcast, Eye on Money, and you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter, which Mark does, whether we are on vacation or not. He's that good. He's that good. And the contact button is in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, we are uh, so happy to be back and we are always glad that you listen and we never take that for granted, okay? We really, we don't. So whether you are looking for financial independence in a new endeavor or just plain old retirement or college, whatever it is, we know that you have choices about where you can listen. We're happy you listen to us. And so we are here for you. All right, you've heard me say it all the time. When am I gonna stop saying this about lifting someone else up? I think that it's a good thing to keep forever it sure does so mark says it applies all time all the time and we really want you to to lift someone up that would really be helpful and our mantra here for 2021 i'm gonna have to come up with a new one next year grit growth grace and a little gratitude thanks for listening we'll talk to you tomorrow